Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 104 The Top Role Playing Game Modules of All Time, Part 2. This week, we pick up where we left off last week, working our way through the list of the top role-playing game modules of all time, as determined by a variety of writers and polls over the years. A quick reminder is that we're doing these in alphabetical order by game system, rather than a countdown, and that's because due to my using a number of different writers and polls, it's difficult to assign these modules an appropriate rank. So with the formalities out of the way, let's crank up the tour bus and continue our tour. We begin this week's show with a module for the game Cult. Titled The Black Madonna, it's noted as being the peak of what horror-based tabletop role-playing games can be. It, like many of the supplements we covered last week, is divided into multiple chapters, in this case six, that lead the players through an overarching adventure connected to the Death Angel, Shagadel, and the Archon, Bina, along with their various followers. Writers commented about the level of research and the quality of writing of the piece, especially as it pertains to the history and occult. The levels of psychological horror involved in the piece are also noted as being well handled, and the fact that the GM doesn't have to cook things up to fill holes in the overall game was also a positive. The two major negatives I noticed were that the adventure requires a lot of reading and prep on the part of the GM. As one writer noted, quote, this isn't something that can be done on the fly, end quote. The other negative noted was that parts of the supplement read less like a tabletop role-playing game adventure and more like a narrative, which sometimes doesn't allow for a lot of player choice in the outcome of scenarios. All of that being said, The Black Madonna consistently earned 9 out of 10 stars in review after review. The Black Madonna was originally published in Sweden in the early 1990s. That version, written in Swedish as you'd expect, never made it into English or outside the immediate range of Sweden. However, Modifius Entertainment currently holds the rights to Cult, and they've translated the work to English and have made it available for purchase on their website in either physical or PDF form. So if you're interested in checking this out, head to the Modifius website, M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. Feels like I might have uh, given that website out a couple of times. I'm just, you know, hmm. Another game under the category of games I'd not heard about before researching this topic is Lamentations of the Flame Princess. The release we've got on this list is The Red and Pleasant Land. Zack Sabbath is a writer, and he's managed to put his own stamp on the vampire genre of tabletop role-playing games, as The Red and Pleasant Land features an almost never-ending war between the two vampire factions. The Red King, who's written to resemble Vlad Dracula, and the Heart Queen, who's supposed to represent Elizabeth Bathory. Lamentations of the Flame Princess as a game also has some of the sword and sorcery aspects of the genre in it, and commentators noted more than once that the way the system, and therefore the module, are written, with a few minor adjustments, you could probably run it for a D&D or Pathfinder game. So this would be what Alton Brown would designate as a multitasker. Sorry, been watching a lot of Food Network recently. I couldn't help myself. The best explanation of the supplement and system I've read is that it's a take on Alice in Wonderland to a point. I read one other quote I want to include in here because it makes the point much better than I think I could. 
Quote, it shoves a pillow over your sleeping face and smothers you in a haze-filled fever dream of survivalism, and then it kicks you in the nuts, and then it kicks your nuts in the nuts. End quote. Alrighty then. The Red and Pleasant Land won four Emmy Awards in 2015, gold for best writing and best setting, and silver for product of the year and best adventure. Finding a copy of the rules in physical form is almost impossible, at least without paying upwards of 200 bucks for it. So if you want to check it out, it's probably going to be best to do it in PDF form. So do as I do. Suggest you start with drivethroughrpg.com. Legend of Five Rings has the next entry on our list. City of Lies is the supplement, and it was written by Greg Stoise and released in 1998. Now, L5R is one of those systems that you either loved or you have never really played much. And the fact that there was a period of time it was basically an Asian-themed version of D&D, yeah, that didn't help it much. But for those who have played it and do love it, they absolutely lose their shit over City of Lies. Several of the reviewers I read noted that they believe this is the best location ever created for a tabletop role-playing game. Of course, we've said that a few times during the course of our two shows on this subject, so do with that what you will. City of Lies is set in the city of Ryoko Orari, which Stoise noted in his book is, quote, Rokugan's most elegant cesspit, end quote, due to the level of crime, opium dealing, and the multiple factions fighting for power. The supplement is both adventure and rulebook, as it provides a few changes to the rules from the core system. The adventures, and there are several of them, are designed to get the campaign rolling before the GM takes over and creates some stuff of their own. The biggest positive I read about this setting is the amount of detail put into it. Reviewers noted that Stoise spent a lot of time getting into Ryoko Arari in as much detail as he could within the allowed number of pages. The city jumps off the page and the NPCs are fleshed out well. As another reviewer put it, you're in a living, breathing city, and you'll learn not only how the city's sewage is dealt with, but also why the opium is so important and who runs it. Of course, you'll learn a dozen other things as well, but the point is that the details here are so in-depth, you'll be able to feel the surroundings as you play the game. City of Lies was originally published by Alderac Entertainment Group, but they've long since lost the license for it, and the supplement has as you'd imagine, gone out of print. So, unless you've got a good used game shop around, your best bet will be a PDF version of it from sites like drivethroughrpg.com. Starting to think I should have reached out to DriveThruRPG about a commission for these episodes, because <laughs> I obviously forgot the rules of acquisition. If you're a Trek fan, you got that one. If not, I apologize. Next up is the anime-themed game Mekton and its supplement Operation Rimfire. Published by R. Talsorian Games, it's written as an entire campaign in the anime genre, and multiple reviewers have noted that it plays in the style of an actual anime. Story goes like this. The two powers of Algol, along with the various power players of Algol politics, have decided to get together and form a united space force to address an impending ice age. Needless to say, there are those who aren't in agreement with this, from terrorists to organized factions with a decent amount of power, and the players are in the position of having to deal with these impediments to the success of the Space Force. Marketed primarily to anime fans and anime tabletop role-playing game players, 
Operation Rimfire didn't see the levels of success that a number of the other adventures on this list saw, but for the number of copies it sold, it got nothing but rave reviews. One reviewer noted that it's, quote, everything that anyone who's big on melodrama and space opera wants in a campaign, end quote. Others noted the richness of the world, 40 well-written and fleshed-out NPCs, full breakdowns of all the mechtons involved in the book, 22 episodes for the group to run through, and a ton of drawings and maps for all the locations utilized in the campaign. Overall, there were three negatives I noted. The first is that it's out of print. And while that's true, the R. Talsorian website, talsorianstore.com, does sell PDF versions, so if you want it, it is available. Second, this campaign is written for the second edition of Mechton. It's been suggested by more than one reviewer that the fix for that is to convert it to the first edition if you want, or with a bit more work, you can convert it to a completely different system. Third, the campaign itself, primarily the way it's written, is very structured, so there's not a lot of room for the GM to riff. Nobody had an easy solution for that, and my take on it is that if you like structure, this is a positive. For those who don't, I think the overall storyline will keep you on your toes enough that you're not going to notice. Before we continue, I wanted to note another theme I've noticed as we've rolled through our list. I'm adding a lot of games to my list of games to cover on this podcast in the future, so we're seeing multiple positives coming out of doing this topic. Anyway, our next two entries are for the same game, Knights Black Agents. Now, since I've added it to the games we have to cover list, I'm not going to break it down, but I feel the need to note that it plays a lot like... In the words of more than one reviewer, quote, Jason Bourne meets Dracula, end quote. Also, it's for the gumshoe system, so it doesn't play like a lot of the other games we've covered over the history of this show. The Zalozny Quartet is the first of the two modules we'll cover here, and while I say module, it's kind of more like a mini-campaign. Published by Pelgrane Press, the Zalozny Quartet is, as the name implies, split into four separate adventures— the Zalozny Sanction, which sees our intrepid adventures investigating a gun-smuggling operation in Odessa, Ukraine. Though we know there's going to be a lot more to this than meets the eye, obviously. Out of the House of Ashes finds the group dealing with Soviet spies, covert operations, and vampires. Oh my. Several reviewers called this the subtle Baroque portion of the quartet. The Boxman involves the group hitting a safe deposit box inside a Swiss bank. There's also a group of criminals on the same mission, and of course there's going to be some supernatural shenanigans afoot. Finally, Treason in the Blood has the group dealing with the legacy of St. John Philby, and this final entry is, again according to reviewers, the biggest gathering of supernatural horrors than the other three combined. I found positive after positive review for this supplement, with reviewers praising the elaborate backstory, carefully crafted story, fleshed out NPCs that actually flow with the game, and multiple tie-ins to actual historical events, which according to several reviewers meant they could Google search some of the locations to show pictures or use Google Maps to give a more detailed presentation of how the area really looks. The only major negative, and it's not so much a negative as it is a warning slash suggestion, is that a ton of prep time should be used when running the game. Since there's so much good background detail, you're going to want to make sure you've got good notes before you run your group through it. 
This adventure is still in print from Pelgrane Press, so you can try either your local game shop, provided they carry a decent selection of games, or try the Pelgrane Press website, that's pelgranepress.com. The Dracula Dossier is the other entry for Knight's Black Agents that made the list. The short form on this is that the group will ultimately match wits with the most famous vampire of all time. There are literally hundreds of encounters available for the GM to use, with again a large number of fully fleshed out NPCs, and of course things that go bump in the night that they get to deal with. Reviewers also noted that the locations were also fleshed out well, since they play almost like NPCs themselves. Over the course of my research, I probably read a hundred pages of reviews of this particular supplement, and I can say without question that the biggest positive noted is that the Dracula dossier is a legitimate sandbox, with the group determining the course of action throughout. It's also highly improvisational, so it gives both the players and the GM the opportunity to flex their muscles in ways they might not normally get to. Reviewers also praised the supplement for its ties to and faithful following of history. Again, one could do a Wikipedia or Google search of the locations, incidents, and some of the NPCs involved and actually be able to show the group what it was all about. And in a rarity for this list, I couldn't find a single negative amongst all the reviews I read. Now, the Dracula Dossier is a hefty supplement with numerous books, maps, and other goodies available. Pelgrane Press does have a starter kit bundle available, and I'd say the price of $60 American is pretty reasonable for the amount of material you get. Now, they've got other bundles available, but they tend to be out of stock frequently due to demand. So if you hit the Pelgrane Press website and see them available, I would suggest picking them up. We go from horror games to the Lord of the Rings. Sorry, I meant the One Ring. Make sure I get my game straight here. The Darkening of Mirkwood is the supplement that makes our list. It comes from the Brain Trust at Cubicle 7, and it's a three-decade-long story that will take a lot of real time to work your way through. The gist of this campaign is that there's a necromancer on the loose, and the players have to deal with him. Of course, nothing in the world of Tolkien is ever easy, so they'll be dealing with spiders, you know, the Lord of the Rings type ones, wizards, the werewolf of Mirkwood, and a whole lot of other baddies. There are seven adventures that comprise the darkening of Mirkwood, and since they do link together, breaking them up to sprinkle into an existing campaign is really not an option. Positives here are that it's the type of epic adventure you'd expect from something in Tolkien's world. Reviewers also noted that there isn't any moral ambiguity here. We're literally talking about good versus evil. And the writing gets some love too. Reviewers noted that the continuity of the writing is superb, which makes it easy to follow the story from one decade to the next. It was also noted that while the campaign might be dark overall, the individual adventures take plenty of time to allow the characters to breathe and work out things other than gloom and doom. And of course, the artwork got a bunch of kudos. Okay, so I do have some bad news for you. To an individual, every reviewer I checked out noted that if you really want to have as much information about the Mirkwood setting and NPCs within it as possible, 
you would also need a copy of The Heart of the Wild. And since these books weren't cheap at release, that's a bit annoying. There were also complaints about the length of the adventures, with words like short and minimal being tossed around. In fact, many reviewers noted they'd added the supplement Tales from Wilderland to the campaign in order to bulk up the length of the overall campaign, since the adventures in that supplement are considerably longer. Written by Greth Ryder Hanaran and Francesco Nipitello, the supplement sold well, but with the loss of the One Ring license by Cubicle 7, the books are long out of print. So again, it's off to drive through RPG for PDF copies if you want to try it, as I've seen used copies go from anywhere from the $200 to $500 range online. Next up is the Orpheus campaign. This is one of those rare occasions where the game is the campaign. So we're covering it as one. Created by the literal team of dozens, it was released by White Wolf starting in September of 2003. From the beginning, Orpheus was intended to be a limited run series, meaning that there were only going to be a certain number of supplements in the line, all modules after the core book. And that's a trend White Wolf has continued over the years with other games. Now, I sort of touched on Orpheus back in our three-episode run on the World of Darkness, since Orpheus is technically part of that line. As is typical of series under that umbrella, the focus of the game is that the players are the things that go bump in the night. In this case, it's ghosts and spirits. And over the course of the adventures, they'll run into a variety of antagonists, including other ghosts, as well as various organizations that want to see them dead, like permanently. While there is an overarching theme for the line, the five adventure books in the series could be used as part of a long-running campaign if you so chose to. Reviewers praised the series, noting that the writing was exemplary, the artwork on point, and the stories riveting, to the point that players would occasionally forget they were playing the game and not listening to a phenomenal story. The only negative I found, and it's not tied to the game itself, is that there weren't more books in the line, so that ought to tell you something. The Orpheus campaign has been out of print for years, so again, if you don't have a good used game shop around, I'd start your search with DriveThruRPG, since White Wolf does not offer it as a PDF. Next up, we've got the OSR adventure, Maze of the Blue Medusa. I'm not going to deep dive exactly what OSR is, but just know that Maze of the Blue Medusa is written to work with a number of different game systems, including D&D and Lamentations of the Flame Princess. So, much like I said earlier in this show, we've got ourselves a multitasker here. At its core, Maze of the Blue Medusa is a mega dungeon. Now, there's a ton of backstory involved that explains why many of the antagonists found within it are there, but this supplement is really a big dungeon for the group to crawl through. So what makes it so popular? Many reviewers loved the funhouse concept of the game. In other words, the fact that it doesn't take itself too seriously played well for those who were commenting. Again, while this is a dungeon crawl, there are a number of puzzles and riddles to solve throughout, which takes the traditional concept of a dungeon crawl and turns it on its head. As with every other entry on our poll, the writing and artwork was praised, as well as the playability. While there were a few negative reviews out there, as I dug into them, I realized they were very recent, and since this book was originally released in 2016, 
I figured out these were folks who'd played the game at that time, let it sit for a few years, then picked it up again. So while I don't discount their opinions, I also wonder if their opinions weren't colored by the games they'd played in the meanwhile. Maze of the Blue Medusa was written by Zach Smith and Patrick Stewart, no, not that Patrick Stewart, and originally published by Black Book Editions. Satter Press holds the rights currently, and they've made it available through DriveThruRPG.com, so if you're interested, they encourage you to shop there. One final note here, Maze of the Blue Medusa won four Emmy Awards in 2016 and was nominated for a fifth. Now, what would a countdown be without an entry from Paranoia? Uh, I, I don't really have a response for that. I'm sorry. I just thought it'd be a different way to get into our next entry. The Yellow Clearance Black Box Blues is the module in question, and it's one of the first real missions released for Paranoia. Written by John M. Ford, it released in 1985. It got an update and revision by the cast of dozens at Mongoose Publishing, and that was released in 2018. The 1985 release won the H.G. Wells Award for Best Role-Playing Adventure of 1985. Alright, so what's it all about? It's a four-part scenario, and in it, the troubleshooters are perpetually trying to get their hands on this mysterious black box. Of course, there are a bunch of other groups who have the exact same orders, so our PCs find themselves in conflict with a number of the secret societies of Alpha Complex. Now, I'm starting the review process here with a complaint. The scenarios aren't really linked together to form an overarching campaign, at least not in the original edition. I say that because that's the version I got my information about. However, that was pretty much the only complaint. There were numerous positives listed, including the fact that a number of the concepts used in this release have become staples of the Paranoia brand, including the gags at briefings, surviving fatal events by trying not to survive, and having everyone trying to get their hands on the MacGuffin. The revised version of Yellow Clearance Black Box Rules is available from Mongoose Publishing, and it might be available at your local game shop. If not, check out the Mongoose website, mongoosepublishing.net. If you're looking for a copy of the original, you'll need either a used game shop or a trip to DriveThruRPG to pick up a PDF copy. Our next three entries belong to the Pathfinder system, so let's get cracking. First up is Age of Worms. Now, this entry comes with an asterisk next to it, and here's why. Age of Worms was originally published to be used with the 3.5 edition of D&D and was published in 12 parts in Dragon Magazine from July 2005 through June 2006. Paizo Publishing now has the rights, which makes a bit of sense as they were the publisher of Dragon Magazine at the time. The Age of Worms is an age of darkness and despair that's only been heard of in ancient prophecies. According to the prophecies, the undead deity Kaisis, who's the worm god, will be the herald of the Age of Worms. He's involved with a group called the Ebon Triad, and they were introduced in the previous adventure path for D&D called Shackled City. Needless to say, our little batch of do-gooders are presented with numerous encounters over the course of the path and are tasked with uncovering all of the architects of the plot to bring Kaisis to power. Of course, the payoff is that they actually get to face off with Kaisis, as well as his undead dragon, Dragotha. Unlike pretty much every entry on this list, Age of Worms wasn't praised for its writing or its artwork, nor was it praised for being the best adventure ever. So how the hell did it make the list? 
Reviewers seem to love Age of Worms because it did something that was beginning to die around the time it was released. It kept the idea of a structured premise campaign alive. Those of us who remember the heyday of 1980s AD&D remember multi-module campaigns that were released, and I can assure you some of those will be coming up in future installments of this show. So while Age of Worms might not be the greatest thing ever written, it is worthy of being on this list due to its ease of play and the spirit of the past it's kept alive. Age of Worms earned an honorable mention for Best Adventure at the 2007 Any Awards. Way of the Wicked is the next Pathfinder adventure on the list. Written by Gary McBride and Michael Clark, it was published by Fire Mountain Games, who advertised the game as, quote, the only evil adventure path for the Pathfinder RPG, end quote. Bold words, but as reviewers have noted, absolutely correct. What happens here is that the antagonist-protagonist relationship is flipped with the PCs playing the evil characters, and we know they're evil because they're agents for the cult of Asmodeus. So that means the antagonists here are all basically good folks. The adventure takes the group all over the island nation of Talangard, and success for the adventure hinges on their ability to infiltrate a fort and lower those defenses to allow an army of bugbears to get through. Reviewers had mostly positive things to say about Way of the Wicked. The writing drew kudos, the artwork is excellent, and most everyone agreed that the pacing of the adventure is good. Negatives mostly revolved around the fact that the module is part of another adventure path for Pathfinder, but that's a nitpicky thing, so we're just going to let that be. Overall, everyone agreed that this was one of the best ways for a group to truly understand the mindset of the evil antagonist, since they basically are that. And it also proves that an evil party doesn't have to spend all of their time trying to kill each other. It is available through the Paizo website, paizo.com. The last Pathfinder entry on our list is another module that was originally written for D&D before shifting to Pathfinder, Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist is an anomaly on our poll and a rarity in the game world. It was created by a group of amateur game creators and over the years has been polished by the various publishers who've released it. It's a steampunk-flavored game that places the group in the roles of special government operatives. There are 13 adventure books in the line, so we're dealing with a campaign that takes characters from level 1 all the way to 30. The group is tasked with investigating a number of incidents taking place in the campaign world, and they ultimately get the chance to change the political system. More specifics aren't really needed, as Zeitgeist makes this list primarily due to the nature of its creation and the fact that it's a steampunk game that flows exceptionally well. And by the way, that's not just me talking. Reviewers said the exact same thing. Zeitgeist is available for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, so you should be able to find it at your local game shop. If not, check out paizo.com. We shift gears from Pathfinder and move on to RuneQuest. Griffin Mountain is the module, and it makes the list for being the adventure that pretty much every adventure since has tried to live up to. Written by Rudy Kraft and Jenel Jacques, it's set in Greg Stafford's Glorantha. It was released by Chaosium in 1981 and has been updated and re-released multiple times, the most recent being in 2020. Since we know RuneQuest is a fantasy game, it shouldn't be surprising that Griffin Mountain sets the group on the path through Glorantha towards the mountain the game gets its title from. 
Along the way, they've got encounters in the wilderness, meetings with trading caravans, and tons of opportunities to engage with politicians, townsfolk, and a multitude of monsters. While Griffin Mountain is set up to be a campaign on its own, it also provides a wealth of background information that GMs can use to build their own adventures with. They're also encouraged to add them into the campaign if they so choose. That's one of the positives I saw noted again and again. Reviewers loved that facet of the book. The quality of the writing, the attention to detail, and the way everything in the adventure seems to link well together were also named. I did note one negative, and that's that Griffin Mountain has been noted as being a rather complex, sometimes difficult setting for new players, so it's been suggested that newbies try something else first. As I noted, the most recent release was in 2020, so your local game shop might carry it. If not, check out the Chaosium website, chaosium.com. Our next entry comes from Savage Worlds. 50 Fathoms is a pirate game, as the title gives away, but it's so much more than just talking funny and following the pirate cliches. In the adventure, the world is drowning, and it's said it's due to the execution of three witches who cursed the land to be flooded. It's up to our band of pirates to travel both the sea and the land, defeat the various baddies that appear, both humanoid and monster, and ultimately save the world. 50 Fathoms is not the largest module supplement I've ever seen. At 144 pages, it would seem sparse at first glance. However, Shane Hensley crammed a ton of stuff into those pages as he created, dividing the book into three sections, one for the players, one for the GM, and the adventure itself. Reviewers noted that the game is just easy enough for GMs to be able to pick it up and run it with virtually no prep, but complex enough to grab hold of the players and keep hold of them until it's over. It's also noted that 50 Fathoms is set up like a sandbox once the group gets through the initial adventure, though they understand just enough of the meta plot to be able to make decisions that can lead them through to the end. Hensley's writing was praised, though there were a few reviewers who noted he could have put more information in about the setting itself. But having played through Deadlands multiple times over the years, I can tell you that that's a trait of his. He gives you enough setting to get the gist of what he's looking for, then he leaves it for you to finish coloring the page. Released in 2012 by Pinnacle Entertainment Group and Great White Games, it's available in PDF form from the Pinnacle Entertainment website, peginc.com. The West End Games version of the Star Wars role-playing game has an entry on our poll, Operation Elrude. Written by John Byer, Chris Doyle, and Anthony Russo, it was released by West End Games in 1996. The adventure kicks off with the players rescuing a group of rebel operatives from pirates and preventing an imperial mining operation. Next, they hook up with a data fixer to track a rebel spy while being pursued by both assassins and the Empire. Finally, they're trapped in an imperial stronghold and are ultimately presented with the ability to blow up a Star Destroyer. Reviewers gave the writers points for the creativity and the writing, though most also agreed there were a number of different ways it could have been better, in their opinions. But they still gave it 8 to 9 stars for ratings, and they noted that if this was a Star Wars movie, they'd line up to get their tickets. So to me, that's part of why so many reviewers seem to like it. Remember, in 1996, Return of the Jedi had been the last new Star Wars movie we got. I mean, I'm sure the extended editions of the trilogy were coming out, but insofar as entire new movies, we were still three years away. 
So with that desert of films, having a new and exciting adventure out there was a major deal. Now, obviously, Operation Elroot has been out of print for more than 20 years. So if you want a copy, head to drivethroughrpg.com and pick up your PDF. The next two entries on our list come from the Trail of Cthulhu game. We're going to cover it in detail in a future episode, so I'm not going to get into it here. What I will say is that while it's quite similar to Call of Cthulhu, there are just enough differences to make it its own game. All right, so let's start with Eternal Lies. Written by Will Hindmark, Jeff Tidball, and Jeremy Keller, it was released by Pelgrane Press in 2013. The premise is that 10 years prior to the start of the game, a band of occult investigators battled against the summoning of an ancient and monstrous evil. Needless to say, they failed. So the players are tasked with figuring out exactly what the hell went wrong, and they'll travel the world in search of answers. Needless to say, they're ultimately going to have to take down some serious baddies if they want to succeed. This is another module that's been praised for the quality of the storyline, the writing, and the cohesiveness of the plot. It's also been praised for bringing the horror elements Lovecraft is best known for without going over the edge with it. No negatives to report either, so there's that. You might be able to find a copy of the book out there as Pelgrane Press tends to print new runs from time to time, but your best bet is to head to their website, pelgranepress.com. Cthulhu City is the other Trail of Cthulhu game to make our list. Written by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan, it was released by Pelgrane Press in 2017. What makes Cthulhu City unique in this poll is that this release is basically a GM-only book. Most of the other books on this list have at least a few pages for the players, but in this case, everything is intended for GM eyes only. With that little nugget out of the way, let's get into the supplement itself. The focus is on the city of Great Arkham, which is a 1930s American city. Needless to say, the forces that serve the mythos are exceptionally strong here, and escape is impossible. Which means our group has to do the impossible. Over the course of the three-act adventure, the group works their way across the city, uncovering the clues they need to reach the prize at the end of the rainbow. Along the way, they run into numerous horrific things that may very easily cause them to lose their minds in some cases, quite literally. Now, I noted that this is a GM's eyes only book. That's because various plot points and other usable nuggets are woven in amongst the setting details provided. So if a player were to read the book, the surprises of the game itself might be ruined. I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, and you can Google that shit, kids. But the writing, attention to detail, and artwork got the kudos, along with the originality of some of the plots. The negatives are that the levels of complexity the GM has to deal with get real high, real quick. Also, the GM has to avoid putting the adventure on the tracks as it's set up to be a sandbox game. Taking all of that into consideration, this look into the weird got 9s and 10s for the scores and is yet another example of tabletop role-playing games at their best. This is another release you might be able to find in your local game shop, but your best bet will probably be the Pelgrane Press website. Let me spell it. P-E-L-G-R-A-N-E-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Oh, and I almost forgot. It's also been noted that while the game was created and statted for Trail of Cthulhu, it would not be difficult to make the adjustments needed to run it for pretty much whatever game and system that you wanted to. 
Traveler gets the next spot on our list with the adventure Pirates of Dinax, written by Gareth Hanrahan and released by Mongoose Publishing. Pirates of Dinax has been noted as being one of, if not the, largest, most detailed sandbox games ever published. And that's not just Mongoose's publicity machine talking. Reviewer after reviewer said the same thing. In fact, that's the reason it continually drew 9 and 10 star ratings. The attention to detail is extraordinary, as nearly every NPC is fleshed out and feels real. There's a ton of maps that give you pretty much everything you'd ever want to know, and the GM has more than enough detail to work with to present the adventure to the players. Pirates of Dinax consists of 10 adventures for the players to run through, and it's noted that they're flexible enough to go in almost any order you'd like, or for the GM to create a few of their own and sprinkle them in. As you might expect, we're dealing with another pirate game here, though it's anything but just another pirate game. The Empire of Sindal, which was once a majestic place, is now basically just a floating palace after the Aslan attacks long ago. The ruler of the world of Dinax hires the group to be privateers and secret agents in an attempt to revive the Empire, and the campaign rolls along from there. Two complaints were noted about the game. There were some details for players in-game that were a lot harder to discover than some reviewers would have liked, and there's so much stuff to do in this campaign that it could take years to get it all done. Now, I don't see anything major about any of those, so overall I think I can safely recommend this for all. Again, this is another one you might be able to find at your local game shop, but if you can't, hit up Mongoose Publishing's website, mongoosepublishing.com. We got two entries left on the poll, so let me just shut the hell up and get to them. Unknown Armies 2nd Edition brings us item number 32 on the list. The adventure is called To Go. A quick note about the Unknown Armies game, since we haven't covered it on the show to this point. Unknown Armies is a game that deals with the occult, but does so in the modern times. Look, there's a hell of a lot more to this, but we'll save it for the deep dive when we get to it. To Go, written by Greg Stolze and published by Atlas Games back in 2003, is really an entire campaign contained within 160 jam-packed pages. In this adventure, our team is dealing with not one, not two, but at least three different groups who are all part of what's called the Ascension War. And needless to say, there are a ton of mayhem-inducing situations for them to deal with before they're done. Reviewers have noted that while you don't need high-level or high-power characters, it can be a whole lot easier to get through if you've got at least one. To Go has been praised for its sandbox nature, as it allows the group to attack issues in pretty much whatever order they want to, and while there are some that could be ignored, it's assumed your group will at least try to address them all before the finale. The writing and organization has also been noted as being superb. Negatives. Well, there's a lot going on here, and while it's well-written and organized, it can be an enormous info dump. So GMs are going to need a lot of prep time before they play, and players are going to need to pay some serious attention during the session, because not doing so can cause them to miss out on information that might come in handy down the line. To Go has been out of print for quite some time, so physical copies are really hard to come by, and those you can find are going to cost you about 100 bucks. So, as I've noted more than once, you'll need to get yourself a PDF copy, and the Atlas Games website has them. That's atlas-games.com. Last up is a campaign published for the first edition of the Warhammer Fantasy role-playing game, Enemy Within. Enemy Within. 
It was published as a series of linked adventure scenarios from different authors by Games Workshop between 1986 and 1989. Now, I realize this is different than just about every other supplement on this list, since it's not a single release, but this campaign drew so much response and so many reviews, I felt it deserved its spot on this show. Go ahead and at me if you disagreed. Oh, and there have been a couple of other supplements produced over the years with the name Enemy Within, but it's been noted that the adventure itself has been changed, and in several of the books it's almost completely different. So the reviews here will all be based off the first edition. It also needs to be noted that Enemy Within was the first edition published for this Warhammer game. The original consists of three adventures, The Enemy Within, Shadows Over Bogenhaven, and Death on the Reich. You'll know you've got a later version if the Adventures Within don't have all three of these in it. The overall theme of the line is that the hidden powers of chaos are plotting the destruction of the Empire, and our adventurers are tasked with stopping it at all costs. They'll find themselves face-to-face with a number of different groups attempting to bring that destruction forth, and the various mysteries they need to solve will ultimately lead them to the conclusion of the campaign. The campaign has been noted for being an exceptionally well-written, well-organized, and very engaging campaign, and with the Warhammer Fantasy rules, providing a wide variety of possibilities for a group wanting to adventure within its pages. The biggest downside I've noticed is the fact that it was originally published as three separate modules, made completing the entire campaign difficult, though that was fixed a few years after it came out with a hardcover edition that included all three. So, like I like to say, if this is the only complaint, there are no complaints. Now, obviously, this original version is long out of print, and if you're wanting to play the campaign with the original feel, you're going to need to pick it up in PDF form, and you can do that at DriveThruRPG.com. I'd also recommend grabbing a first edition of the Warhammer Fantasy Core rules while you're at it, since the most recent version won't work. So, that's our look at 33 games considered by a large number of reviewers to be among the best adventures ever written. Did your favorite not make this list? If that's the case, you've got a chance to have your voice be heard, and that's by hitting us up on the socials and letting us know what campaign you think is among the best ever written. We're about a month or so away from doing that episode, so you've still got time to get your entries in. And with that, we've come to the end of today's tour. Next week, we'll take a closer look at the Ringworld game, as well as Bunnies and Burrows. In the meanwhile, check out our other podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. This week, we pick up where we left off last week, which is with our group trying to figure out who was really behind the ambush on their benefactor. And if we're being honest, it's not who they think it is. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your royalty-free, license-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, Bad GM Productions. You can email us, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, it's Ringworld and Bunnies and Burrows, and I don't know if I can think of two games more different from each other to cover on the same show. But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're Role Playing History.